Israel's victorious redeemer in the past could be counted to save them once more, a repentant and submissive people. Why does our past memories, why does our past goodness that God has shown us in the past be a good thing for us to remember now when we're going through a crisis? God is saying, look, I'm going to fight the battle for you. You just walk. Trust me and walk and I will give you this land and rest in me. And so when we come to those crisis points in our life, we are called to that same exact thing is to remember how God has done good. Psalms 34, 14-22 The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears, and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. We welcome you once again to the Agape Fellowship, where we study the Bible verse by verse. In today's episode, we continue on from Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 3. Today, we will learn from Habakkuk, how we are able to maintain our faith in God even when we know that difficult times are ahead of us. Be blessed as you learn from His Word. Verse 3 God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah, his glory covers the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light he has he had rays flashing from his hands, and there his power was hidden. Before him went pestilence, and fever followed at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations and the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills bowed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of Midian trembled. O Lord, were you displeased with the rivers? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation, your bows, were made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows, Selah. You divided the earth with the rivers. The mountains saw you and trembled. The overflowing of the waters passed by. The deep uttered its voices and lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of your arrows they went, at the shining of your glittering spear. You marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. You went forth for salvation of your people, for salvation with your anointed. You struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare from foundation to neck, Selah. You thrust through with his own arrow, with his own arrows the heads, head of his villages. They came out like a whirlwind, 
to scatter me. Their rejoicing was like feasting on the poor in secret. You walk through the sea with your horses through the heap of great waters. Now, when you read this portion, you wonder, what is he talking about? What is his reference? You know, this is a song, a hymn that Habakkuk has written. Uh, if you read closer, this is poetic language for uh, how God rescued the Israelites from the land of Egypt. In verse 3, God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah's glory covered the heavens and the earth full of praise. Teman, by the way, is the name of a district in the land of Edom. And name of after, named after Teman, the grandson of Esau. So it's a land near Edom. And next to, um, one of the things about Teman is that God came from Teman. What is he referring to? Back in the day, the, the land of Teman or Edomites were considered to be, inhabitants of Teman were supposedly famous for their wisdom. Now you can get that from Jeremiah 49 and Obadiah 1 to 1 verse 8. You will see that they are referenced as people with great wisdom. And so he's saying God came from Teman. In other words, God is a God of wisdom. And coming from Teman implying this God of wisdom. The Holy One from Mount Paran. Mount Paran is the next mountain over from, if you can guess it, Mount Sinai. Remember that's where they were given the laws. And you remember that's the place where, you know, people were so afraid to get near the mountain. Why? Why were they afraid of getting near the mountain? God was on the mountain. Behold, I come in a thick cloud. Here's where Exodus, I got a couple of verses I'll read for you. Exodus 19, 9. Behold, I come in a thick cloud. And in Exodus 19, 16. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning, there were thunderings and lightnings yep. and thick clouds on the mountains. The sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people in the camp trembled. And Exodus 19, again, it says, Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because God descended upon it with fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and louder, Moses spoke and God answered by voice. So what is he referencing? He's talking about that. That portion, verse 3, 4, and 5, you will see, 3, 4, uh, you will see he's referencing that event where it was lightning in his hands. So it's a poetic way of he's referring to that particular event. And before him went pestilence, you see in verse 5, before him went pestilence and fever followed at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. What is he referring to? He's referring to the plagues that went before him. Remember in Egypt, how did he rescue them? With the plagues. He sent plagues, several plagues, all different kinds of plagues before God finally pulls, brings them out. So he's referring to that in poetic language. He's referring to that event of the pestilence and the, and the plague that went before God and brought these people out. And that didn't settle it, but we'll talk further. In verse 13, you would see that he went forth for salvation of your people, a salvation with your anointed. 
God had anointed a specific person to bring the people out of Egypt. Do you remember who it was? Moses. He anointed him and sent him and said, bring my, I want you to bring my people out. And so he's talking about his anointed. Anointed basically means chosen one. God had chosen Moses to go out and bring these people out. And in verse 14, you thrust through with his own arrows, the heads of his villages. They came out of the whirlwind to scatter. Their rejoicing was like the feasting of the poor in secret. And you walk through the sea with your horses, through the heaps of great waters. The entire verse describes the victory of God over his enemies. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. This is from Exodus. Who among the gods is like you, O God? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? In your unfailing love, you lead people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will glide them. You will guide them to your holy dwelling. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Amen. That's Exodus 15, verse 3, 11, 13, and 18. And so there's such glory, such praise to God who rescues them. Israel's victorious redeemer in the past could be counted to save them once more, a repentant and submissive people. And so Habakkuk had his answers. God refuses to stand still when human injustice is running amok. God does not forget people. Remember, that was the thing. How long will you forget us forever? And he says about the Chaldeans and all of that, and then he says, show mercy. So this is a complex, what Habakkuk is asking is a very complex prayer. On the one hand, he wants God to rescue them. On the other hand, when God talks about mercy, about the wrath that's going to come, he says, show mercy in the midst of wrath. So what Habakkuk is asking is a heavy duty ask. And God is big enough to deal with that heavy duty ask. And in the midst of it, he's able to thread that needle where mercy was shown in the middle of wrath. And if you read the book of Jeremiah that I would love for you all to read at some point, you would see that God shows mercy to the very end. And even after God shows mercy, he doesn't destroy them. He sends them off the land, yes. But he didn't send them off exile to hard labor. He will took them there and he settled them there. And then they realized how far, how much they missed their old home country. But they had it so good that even they forgot it in 70 years. Many of them forgot and decided to stay back. In Sounds the like midst, the yes. Oh, excuse me. Sounds like the prodigal son. <laughs> In a sense, yes, this is true. So in the middle of this, Habakkuk, why does Habakkuk go through this uh, hymn? It's on played on the Shigenot. You remember that was verse one. He's playing this on this musical instrument. Um, he's playing it to remember God's kindness and goodness and his everlasting mercy to Israel in the past. And that's how he gets the reassurance of the future. 
How does he do that? Why does our past memories, why does our past goodness that God has shown us in the past be a good thing for us to remember now when we're going through a crisis? Why is that so good? Anybody? Anybody want to answer that question? Why is it that reminiscing God's goodness in the past be a good thing for us as we go through a crisis now? It builds our faith and trust that he's in perfect control and he's, he's our Heavenly Father and will take care of us. Absolutely. I, I, I always love the, you know, though the fig tree will not blossom or whatever it goes. It always gave me great comfort in trials. Yes. The one that we're going to read, the next one. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But what, uh, thank you, Maria. Anyone else have a comment on that? Yeah, just God's mercy endure forever. Go ahead, Jack. A God's mercies endure forever. God's mercies and endure forever. The past will, will be in the future. Amen. Anyone just, else, Ronnie? Go ahead. Yeah, just to piggyback off Maria, what Maria said and, and Jack, basically, that uh, it just gives us confidence and, and more evidence that God's been faithful before and he'll be faithful again. Yes. Anyone and else? Then, then we have the scripture, all things work for good for those who are love God and called those purposes. This is true. We can, uh, sit, any, on that, we can sit on that scripture. Correct. Anyone but else? God is same. Yes. He's not changing. Yes. He's not changing. When I was there in college, he did many miracles. Same thing. Same God. Yes. And so those things that he did then is a reminder to us today that God is eternal. God's goodness never fails. God never changes. This is what I mentioned at the top of this more this evening study, that it's like one absolute truth. It has multiple applications. God's goodness is God's goodness. That never changes. Let's go to scriptures. And let's look at another event, exact same thing that I'm talking about, but a saint talks about it and reminds the Israelites, that which was in the past is true today. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 5 to 13. Then, then Samuel said, assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted, and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day, the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to point below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they stopped invading Israel's territory. 
Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. Amen. Amen. You've heard the, uh, the song, Raise the Ebenezer. You've heard of that, correct? How many of you have heard of that song? I raised the Ebenezer. What is the stone? You may have seen all through from the time of Abraham on that they placed a stone. Remember when uh, Jacob was lying on that stone and he saw the you know, heavens open in a vision and the angels descend. You remember that one? And then he put a stone there. And many times, what is that? Those stones were meant to be a memorial, a reminder to ourselves that God has been our help in the past. Mm -hmm. And right here, God, he's, what um, Samuel is doing is he's raising the stone called Ebenezer, and he says, thus far the Lord has helped. The God had routed the Philistines without the Israelites moving a little finger. He thundered in the clouds and they ran. And from that point on, notice the last point, he said, all through the life of, the, of Samuel, Philistines were no longer an issue. God gives us these opportunities when we are in a crisis moment, when we are in a difficult place, when we are in these difficult situations, and God releases us from this, brings salvation to us in all of those places. Those are intended to be a reminder to us today. You know, we look back in history of our life and we see how many times if God had not intervened, we would have been finished. And yet when a crisis comes today, we say, oh, this time I'm done for. And we give up hope on God. This is the greatest sin that we can commit. The greatest sin in a sense that we don't trust God. In the sense that also the same thing that the Israelites did. They never entered their rest. Why? Because they didn't believe in God. They didn't trust in that God who had just took them out of the land of Egypt. Brought them there and says, look, go and look at the land. They send those uh, 12 spies in. And they come back and say, hey, this is a great land. And they hear some chicken stories from a couple of the uh, 10 of them. And then they put their tails between their legs and run. God is so upset. God is saying, look, I'm going to fight the battle for you. You just walk. Trust me and walk and I will give you this land and rest in me. And so when we come to those crisis points in our life, we are called to that same exact thing is to remember how God has done good. And that's exactly what Habakkuk is doing. Habakkuk is coming to a crisis point in the nation of Israel's life. Judah, Israel, the northern kingdom is already gone. It's been decimated. There's nothing up there. And now Judah was just about to go into exile. What kind? Well, I mean, what kind of logic? I mean, where can you go? And God has told him, look, no, they have already raised them up. They're coming in for judgment. What do you do? What do you do? I mean, what would you do? You've been told. Judgment's coming. <laughs> You've been told that um, you know that uh, people are going to go into exile. How then? Where is your comfort going to come from? And that's what we look in verse sixteen. When I heard, my body trembled, my lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. 
when he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. When I heard, my body trembled. What God showed Habakkuk did not comfort him. In fact, it brought him no comfort at all. What God showed him was that God would come to the aid of his nation, just as he did in the time of Pharaoh. But then why did it not comfort him? What's with that? I mean, he, he, God told him that he would come to the, I mean, he's reminded that God would come to his comfort. Why then? Why is, what is the problem here then? Habakkuk was just given notice, and here's what it is. Habakkuk was just given notice by God that he would have to trust in God's goodness and his word, even through the fast approaching storm. So what can this be likened to? How many of you, how many of us, have been in a place where death was pronounced? But not immediately, but it was pronounced. Death of life, death of a marriage, death of a relationship, a termination notice, sickness, illness, hardship, broken families. We've all experienced it. There's not one person on this line that has not experienced one of these or more. It was not instant. It was told you that it was coming. How did you face it? What went through your mind? Fear of the unknown, if I may say so. Fear of the unknown. Panic. Mm -hmm. Stress. Pain. Ripping a part of the body from the soul. Think of yourself, you are in 1939, 1940 in America, 42. And um, the president of the Pearl Harbor has just happened. And you're just about to enter World War II. What do you think was on people's minds? Comfort? Yes, they could talk about all these things. I mean, God had brought them as a nation, created the nation, brought all of those things. But do you think that was comfort? We would be the same exact jelly like Habakkuk was. Can you blame Habakkuk? I don't think so. I wouldn't because I'd be worse off than him. I will shrivel and put myself into a fetus position and fetal position and I would wish tomorrow was gone. So here's the situation. Punishment. Here's the three things that Habakkuk had to deal with. Punishment. Judgment was inevitable. This meant the nation was going to continue to slide downward and perhaps even more steeply and there was not going to be a revival in the land. That is one of the things that Habakkuk had to deal with because God had told them the judgment was coming. Number two, they would be sent out of the nation, out of the country, out of their home country for 70 years. Jeremiah, at that time, a young prophet, was already saying that. 
Judah would be exiled like the northern kingdom. The land would be utterly ruined. The land that was once flowing with milk and honey and well settled with people would be desolate and would become a wilderness. <clears throat> the beautiful city of Jerusalem will be burnt down. That he doesn't know yet, but that's what happened. Foreigners and wild animals would take over and live in the country. Yet they have seen Habakkuk and just look north of them and they saw the northern kingdom completely desolate. A total wilderness with foreigners living there and wild animals and wild beasts roaming the territories. Families would be destroyed. How many thousands would be killed? We don't know. Many lives would be lost. Would be the end of a way of life that God had intended for them when they were brought into the land. That's what Habakkuk is looking at. And then after 70 years, God would return them to the land. Judgment of the Chaldeans would be the last thought on Habakkuk's mind. It didn't matter whether God judgment was coming on Habakkuk in a sense. But he was, he was more concerned for his own skin and his own people. God's kindness shall not depart from them. That was the promise that he got. He would revive them again and return them to the land. We hope you were blessed with today's episode as we studied from Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 3 to 16. To reflect on what we learned today, let us ask ourselves whether we give up hope too easily when faced with a crisis or will we be people that choose to trust God by recalling all the times God has come through for us in His absolute faithfulness. Join us again next time as we continue our study from Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 17 onwards. God bless you.